You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Jeff Lewis has been coaching flag football for about 10 years. The former bond trader and fund manager decided to make his hobby a profession in 2016, so he, fun- he founded the American Flag Football League. The first game took place in 2017 with the likes of Michael Vick, Chad Ochocinco, and Terrell Owens among the participants. The AAFL, I'm sorry, the AFFL now has men's, women's, and youth division. So far, the play has been tournament style, but the next step will be to have a regular season with teams in multiple cities. They even have opportunities for investors to own a piece of the league. Have you ever wanted to be a professional sports honor like John Sherman or Clark Hunt? Well, here's your chance. Jeff, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks a lot for having me, David. All right. Well, let's talk about your background. How did you get involved in sports in general? Well, you know, it's funny. The sports business is the only business where we watch everything and we're all convinced that we could do it better than the people that do it. Right. I mean, it's not like I walk into like a a clothing store and think I could run this clothing store better than these guys. But like, you know, but we watch our our beloved uh, New York Giants or New York Yankees or something. And we're like, how could they have this guy as the manager? How could they have the stadium seating arrangements be this way? How can they charge this much for beer? You know, it's like we think we it's it's like we have so much passion as fans, you know, for these for these uh, activities that we all think about them way beyond just what happens on the field. We think about them as businesses. So. You know, I think if you look at it, you know, everybody kind of feels like they understand the business. It's such an important part of our lives. And we feel like we understand what makes it makes it work for us anyway. Um, a lot of the a lot of the bad ideas that happen in in sports and there are a lot of them, you, you know, new sports ideas are very difficult, uh, are driven by somebody saying, I really like sailing. I really like arm wrestling. I really like surfing or whatever. They have a. It means something to them and they just then take their own passion and they don't stop and think about, well, are, are other people going to care about this too, right? Just because it meant something to you <laughs> may not mean it's going to mean something to the, the greater world. And so it's important, I think for us anyway, that I had essentially no connection to flag football when I got sort of touched by the idea. So I was coaching, my son was in third grade, he's now in 11, so it was eight years ago. And the last play of his game was remarkable. It was dramatic and spectacular. And eight-year-olds don't produce those kind of events in most sports. There will never be an ESPN third grade. So, <laughs> And are you talking so, about tackle football when you were saying you were coaching? It was, it was a flag football game. A flag football, flag. okay. And, and it was just an amazing thing. And, and it just sort of stayed in my head now for several years. But as a sort of numbers guy, um, I spent the summer basically two and a half years later just running numbers, trying to figure out what was the general kind of environment for the sports business? What was making things go up in value? What was making sports content more important? Uh, what was driving the growth of flag football? Would it continue? Uh, organically, flag football was growing faster than any other team sport. And it was doing so in the absence of like a sponsoring kind of, you know, hand-holding organization. Mm-hmm. You know, every sport has kind of a governing body and most sports have an aspirational uh, product and a college product around which all of this sort of activities could get organized. And flag was kind of, you know, a second, not the, not the priority of USA football for whom tackle is the priority, 
Uh, and there was no college play, no pro play. So like, why the heck was flag football the fastest growing sport at the grassroots? Um, and so we kind of looked at all these trends and it, it sort of said to us, wow, I mean, it kind of doesn't make sense that you have a sport that at the time was a little larger than ice hockey, rugby, and lacrosse combined. And about the same size as tackle and nobody's playing it for entertainment purposes, especially when it appears to be very entertaining to watch, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of people that go hiking, but we're not gonna have a hiking channel. Uh, you, know, you know, there's a lot of people who play chess, but I haven't seen a lot of chess on television lately. So it's not just that people do it, but it has to be something that people do that if we had people doing it who were really good at it, it would probably be something they'd wanna watch. So, so that's what got us started. And when you talk about the, the number, you're talking about people who compete on a regular basis, what, even though there is no sanctioning league, they, they you know, how, how do you track that? Who tracks the fact so that the, there's uh, no the, the primary source in the sports industry for, uh, for participation information is something called the SFIA. I think it's the Sports Fitness Industry Association. Okay. And the SFIA puts out an annual report where they go over every activity, literally from hiking and swimming and uh, uh, aerobics to football, basketball, and soccer. You know, everything, everything that anybody does, either individually or on a team that is active, uh, they try to track and keep and keep, give you a sense of basically what the numbers are. Uh, you know, and, and the trends are very interesting because one of the things we saw five years ago when we started looking at these numbers is that um, a lot of sports are struggling um, because there are really two, two sort of underlying um, trends that are troubling for most team sports. One of them is the sort of technology problem where kids are uh, spending more time on social media or games or whatever. And so they're a little less likely to be out on a field somewhere. And the other is the specialization problem where it's becoming, you know, the whole sort of youth sports industry is becoming almost like an identification tool for college programs. So kids are getting a message like when they're nine years old, well, you better pick baseball or football or soccer if you, and specialize because if you're going to get good enough to go to college with it, you, know, you better start now. So the old days that we all like remember uh, where we played, you know, one sport in the fall and one sport in the winter and one sport in the spring, you know, that's just not as common anymore. So that's affecting those trends. So again, in the face of all of that, here was flag football growing like a weed. When you look at it now, flag has hit 7 million in their last report, making it now about 20% larger than that combination of hockey, lacrosse, and rugby, and now about almost 2 million people larger than tackle. Quite a change in five years. Okay, you said 7 million participants? Yeah, 7 million. Okay. About three quarters of the number that play soccer. I mean, you're talking yeah. about a major, major activity, right? And the question is, the question is, is it a sport or is it simply kind of an appendage to the sport of tackle football? So right? what age what age group is that, Jeff? Is that that's everybody. That's from six to sixty. Okay. Okay, but a majority of it, I'm guessing, is the kids who, where the leagues think. The kids are too young to play tackle. No, I so think it's about 60, 40 adults and kids. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I would not have, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your aspirations for the league. And, and as we said, we talked before we started recording. 
um, you know, right now it's you, you do three tournaments a year, but your goal next, the, the next time you'll have organized play, hopefully that's in 2022, you expect to have teams in cities playing a schedule. So talk about the league. Let's talk specifically first about the the game itself. Is the field the same size other than tackling? How, how different is the game? So, yes. Yeah, so, so we've played three tournaments, but actually one a year. Right. We played okay. one in one in we played the launch game that you mentioned with o, o, Owens and Ocho and, and Mike uh, in 2017. OK. Uh, and that game received an insane response. Um, the YouTube video of that game is two hours long and it's a meaningless exhibition game for a sport that doesn't exist. <laughs> and over 750,000 people have watched the entire thing. Hmm. Now, in the land of sports audiences, I want you to understand that, I don't know, MLS is a $10 billion business now on a core audience for national games of like 300,000 people. So to throw up an event, not live, not important, no betting, no home team, nothing, and have 750,000 people watch the whole darn thing, tells you there's, a, there's an incredible amount of interest. And if you ask people why they watch that first game, it's because it's fun. It's the, you know, what we've got is kind of a magical little combination. It's the combination of the structure of a football game. And, and the rules are basically we took the big guys out and we left everybody else. So if you're familiar with the passing league, seven on seven, you know, training basically program for traditional football, we put flags on, on that. And we did so because we wanted the game to have the same spacing, the same timing, the same rhythm as a traditional football game. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, flag football is like poker, right? There's like 97 versions, right? And somebody was smart enough to say, we're just going to concentrate on, on hold them and maybe the public can get their arms around that. Right. Um, and so we felt like we needed to define a version of flag football that would feel very, very familiar to tackle football fans. Um, but flag football is a different game. Yeah. Uh, it has the athleticism and the skill. Obviously, it doesn't have the hitting. Um, but the beauty of flag football is because it doesn't have the hitting, we now get to tap into that thing that makes basketball go, which is the individuality of the players. Mm -hmm. That connection to the personality and the ability of that, of that individual player. I remember going to a Knicks-Cavs game a few years ago when LeBron was selling the Cavs. And LeBron walks onto that court He's like a Shakespearean figure. He's King, he's King James. But I mean, he like, everyone has a whole picture of what he kind of means to them. He sort of enhanced that picture yesterday with that elbow, right? But like, <laughs> everybody's got a whole thing. He's not just a, some guy in a helmet with a number on him that's going to be gone in a year. His sort of being is kind of a, it, it is the game. It's bigger than the game. And so the beauty of flag is it allows you to create that kind of connection, those kind of characters that you see in basketball, but you're still playing a football game. And at the end of the day, football to me, you look at the audience response, it's the best constructed game. It's the game that has the most balance, the most uncertainty, the most drama. Um, you know, in the NBA, uh, when LeBron's Cavs were playing the, uh, the uh, Curry, Clay, Warriors in the finals, the ESPN computer said the Warriors were a 93% favorite. 
If you go on ESPN on a, on a, on a Saturday, I think the only college football games we were finding 93% favorite is like some division one triple a team playing, you know, Michigan or something like you can't find in a football matchup a 93% favorite. And yet in the NBA, the freaking finals. Yeah. Well, the equivalent of like a 38 point spread in a football game. And the beauty of football is it's always kind of any given Sunday. You don't know who's going to win. You don't know who's going to win the matchup between that offensive and defensive line. You don't know who's going to win the matchup between that receiver and that defender. You don't know who's going to win. So yeah, and we're in, so and Jeff, we're giving we're giving away yeah. when we reported this, but yesterday, the Houston Texans beat the Titans in Tennessee, yep. and Indianapolis beat the Buffalo Bills, who were ahead of their division. I, I want to jump in here because. I think there's one other thing that allows what you're doing uh, to catch the attention. Uh, and that is, you know, these guys are playing football, but because it's not tackle football, they don't need the heavy pads. They don't need all the equipment and mostly they don't need the helmets. So you can see the personality. You can see Mike Vick, who's a real happy guy. You can see him smiling. You know, you can see these guys, you can see their personalities more. It does, how much does that help? I think that's everything. Um, the game just sort of jumps off of the field. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, one of the great things about this sport is at least in the foreseeable future, we'll be in 10,000 seat, 5,000 seat stadiums. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be a long time before we're in 25 or 50,000 seat stadiums and that's okay. Um, but the benefit of that is that as a fan, if you go to one of these games, you're going to be living it. Okay, you're going to yeah. be hearing what they're saying to each other. You're going to see, you're going to hear them laughing at each other, calling each other names, trash talking. You're going to be living it. You're going to be so close to it. And, you know, David, there's a, I don't know if you've ever attended a lot of like minor league sports, but mm -hmm. minor league sports are very effective because of the intimacy, because of the access, because now you're like sort of stepping inside the ropes for whatever sport it is. And even if they're not the guys who are playing for the World Series or the NBA title or whatever, but when you go to a minor league game, you get so close to the thing that you start to appreciate it in a totally different way. And the beauty of what we are at this point in our development is we're a major league level of talent, but a minor league kind of an environment where you have that all that access. And all that. Okay, let's talk about what you're hoping for. I know right now you're, uh, you're trying to raise investors to be able to place teams in many cities. So let's assume that you hit your goals. Let's, and, and, you know, we'll talk in the end about how people can jump into this if they're interested. But let's say you, you hit your goals and your plan works perfectly. Um, how, many, how many teams do you think there will be? Where will they be located? Uh, stuff like that. Well, eventually it's a worldwide sport. Um, we have the, we have the opportunity to be FIFA for this game. We don't have the opportunity to be a league in the U S we have the opportunity to actually be the sort of, hmm. uh, you know, the worldwide governing body of this game and organize games everywhere. So we'll start with four, six teams in the first year in the cities, but eventually given the ocean of talent and the easily, uh, there's a very interesting problem with tackle football. People love the game around the world. Right. Okay? They love American football. It's a really exciting, it's a great game. We all know this. It, it doesn't have the problems that baseball has. It doesn't have the problems 
that some of our other sports have. It's a people are drawn to it. All these soccer fans all over Europe and South America, they still like American football. Mm-hmm. But the problem is it's totally inaccessible for them to play. It just helmets, pads, goalposts, all that. It's insanity. Yes. 22 people on the field. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So the beauty of this is that this is the version that sort of soccerizes football. It's just like, give me a ball and some open space and I can go play. And, yeah. and so that I think you're going to see, you know, I was talking to a Chinese guy who was a, a friend of mine who was, I was a colleague of mine. I asked him, I said, so in China, how many people would be, say, between like 5'6 and 5'10 and between like 140 and 170 pounds and run a 4'440? And he answered me, he goes, more people than there are in the United States. So how many teams could we make in China once we teach them how to catch and pull flags, right? I mean, it's a beautiful game because it is a game where you're not really disqualified on the basis of not being 50 pounds heavier than the average person and still being more athletic than they are or seven inches taller or whatever. Like we're just asking you to be an athlete and that's really it. So that's a, it's a sort of an aggressive answer to your question, but I think it will be played all over the world. I think ultimately, you know, we should have no problem putting teams, you know, in 25, 30 cities like the other major sports do. Um, the, 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 the purpose of those first three tournaments that we played was to test a lot of, aspects of this one of which was what's the talent level out there and we had a we had a theory which was well we get access to one group of players which is people who have played tackle football and don't want to get hit anymore and no one else no one else is bidding for them so there's a pretty large group of them and the second group though are the ones that are really good at football who aren't big enough and man is that group big Okay, we, we had a tournament this year that was won by a team featuring Dominique Rogers Camardi. And, you know, one of the best athletes probably ever play secondary in the NFL. This guy is a crazy, crazy athlete. He's still, he's like, I think a year or two out in great shape. I think he might have been the sixth or seventh fastest guy on his team. But all these other guys were small. They weren't, the you know, his size, right? But, you know, when the game ended, and they won, the, they won the title. There were literally five guys doing that stand-in-place somersault thing. That, like, what, there were, like, three guys in the NFL that can do that? Like, there were five guys on this flag team doing that at the same time spontaneously. That's how athletic they are. So yeah. there, there's an ocean of talent, and we already think we've seen enough players. We could make 100 teams tomorrow if we had the money. So it's a. it, it sounds like you've got – and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. You've got audacious goals, but you're you're tempering them. You're going to start small with the plan that it will catch on, and that you will have eventually thirty uh, some teams in the U.S. plus teams all around the world. Yes, and we haven't even talked about the women, right? Um, because the you know the women's game, uh, we we had games on television this summer. We had our first ever nationally televised women's pro football game. And the women uh, actually drew double the audience of the men. We're, we're in a very interesting moment in, in the development of women's sports. And um, I think it might be the, one of the very, very few things in our society that we all sort of agree on, which is that we should encourage girls to play sports. Yeah. Um, for so long, it was discouraged and it was so silly. Um, whatever expectations, you know, inform that. Um, but I think we all see the value um, and the fact is, 
What makes people want to watch people play something is whether or not they're good at it, not whether they're men or women. Right. And so the more girls who are playing sports as, you know, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, the better women's pro sports are going to be and the more watchable they're going to be. And the more, and people are totally willing to watch them. So that was a very, very, very powerful thing. And, you know, I think obviously the supply of women players is not remotely close today to what right. the supply of male players is, but there are now varsity programs at the, uh, at the, at the small college level and the junior college level. And most people think we're probably two, three years away from Michigan playing Ohio state in a, in a female football game, mm. a flag game. So how many dads who have three daughters who love football can't wait to have them play 8U and 10U football when the dream can be, you know, they're going to be the quarterback of Ohio State, right? So I think there's an awful lot about to really change here, and um, it's not just about the men. And you also have youth leagues uh, right now, youth tournaments. So are you going to have the same structure, same league structure where you try and have teams in different cities? Or is that really going to stay a grassroots thing to help develop the interest? So the primary, the primary um, thing about our youth league is uh, the rules of flag football have been kind of a hodgepodge. Uh, the largest program, which is run by the NFL, has a rule book. But what you observe is that most of the local operators kind of make their own adjustments. So unlike every other sport that kids play in large numbers, when kids try to come together and play, you know, sort of at a high level, you know, some kind of regional or national tournament or something, everybody's having to sort of compromise on the rules. So we, we've created a, a youth version of our adult rules, which we feel is very true to traditional football and feels good to the kids playing it. And in our first season, the fall was our first season of AFL youth. The response of kids to our version of the rules was spectacular. So like we, we allow things like, um, like one, one lateral, which are not allowed in, in most kids' uh, flag leagues. Um, we actually throw the ball off, you know, just like you okay. did when you were a kid. You guys go down there and we'll throw it to you, right? Um, yeah, with the strongest arm, got, heaves it as far as he can. Right, and, and then you got, um, most importantly, I think, is one of the best things, is we have this thing called the onside play. And if your team is behind, basically you run a fourth and long play in your own end, and if you convert it, then you can keep the ball. So it allows for comebacks. It allows for much more exciting experience. So, you know, we're seeing a great response to it. And, you know, I, I'm hopeful uh, that we can be really the first ones to really kind of create um, a platform where kids from different places and different parts of the world can actually all meet on the playing field together and all already be familiar with that, you know, same set of rules. And, and it's interesting, Jeff, the, the NFL actually – in the in the last off season with their rules, they talked about something like the uh, I don't remember what you called it, but the beyond you know, side play, on side play, they uh, and the traditionalists won out and said no, we have to keep the onside kick, even though practically nobody converts that. Right, they threw that out there, but the traditionalists said no, we're not going to do that. Well, I think the Alliance of American Football actually stole it from us and used it. Okay. Um, I think they went from the 35. Yeah. But uh, we, we go from the 30. Right. Okay. So it's basically in, in, the, in, the, in the adult game, it's fourth and 20 from the 30. We had a team in our finals last year 
that was down 46 to 21 with five and change minutes to go, won the game. Hmm. Wow. Because they've converted multiple onside plays. And believe me, fourth and 20 is not easy. Okay. I, I think statistically we see it as about a 15, 20% chance. Probably closer to 15. So to convert multiples is really difficult. But the fact is they did it and they won a game. So, you know, when we get to the point where we're a highly functioning professional league, I think one of the things that will make you do, we've seen this over and over. We've played over 700 games at our tournaments. The game is never over in the AFFL. Yeah. You know, you can come back in the, at the end of the game, in the last five, 10 minutes of the game, you can be down multiple scores, and that onside play is powerful. And it's not, it's not a surprise. Yeah. You know, you got to yeah. line up. Everyone knows it's coming. Yeah. We have one, two, and three-point conversions. And so, um, you know, if you score from your own end, you also get uh, seven points for a touchdown. So it's conceivable with just one score and a conversion to actually make 10 points. So it's another lever to pull to be able to come back from a big, you know, big deficit. Have you ever seen, this is totally off subject. Have you ever seen the video of the state semifinals? I think it was like 93 or 94 in Texas where the team converted three straight onside kicks. No, they were down. They were down 26 points with three 15 or something scored a touchdown Onside kick, recovered it, scored a touchdown. They did that three times. Finally took the lead with like 12 seconds to go. Kicked off full speed, you know, full length. And the, and the announcers are saying, boy, maybe they ought to onside kick it because we know they can recover that. They kicked it the length of the field and the guy ran it back for a touchdown. And the, and the team that had the big comeback still lost. I'll send you a link to it because it is, it, it is riveting. It is hilarious. The announcers were the best part of it. But that's totally that doesn't happen very often in real. Well, it can't when you once you can't once you can't overload one side, you know it becomes basically impossible. So, um, you know, one of the things that I think is I really like about the the youngest generation of fans is they don't really care at all about tradition. Yeah, they just want it to be good. Yeah, you know, you know, my high school age son is going to be the last baseball fans standing, I think. And you know what? It is so frustrating. And they might lose him over this umpire thing or the balls yeah. and strikes because he's, a, you know, th this is a generation that's grown up with technology. The technology yeah. obviously works. Why do you have a person attempting this really difficult task when a machine could do it? I don't know if it was COVID or whatever, but you know, I, I remember I noticed at the U S open this year, I was watching a little bit of the finals and there weren't any, uh, any officials on the court. They were just using the machine. And like, you know, one of our points of view is if we can use a machine for anything and get it right, we're going to, you know, we, we in our televised or stream games, we um, review every play for everything. If a team, if, if, uh, you know, it, it could be it could be a, a false start that wasn't noticed by the ref. Anything, we we just, but we try to take great pains not to stop the game. So the idea really is, it's never going to be perfect. But if we, but if things are obvious enough that you can change them without re reducing the flow, then we want to change them in real time, keep it moving, and and go. And you know. 
So the, the, the traditionalists who want to keep, you know, running a play, the fact is the play traditionally had a chance of working. So there's no point of keeping the onside kick if it doesn't actually have a chance of working. Yeah. I think you'll see the NFL adopt the onside play within a year or two. It's too yeah, good. It, we've, eventually. We've they're, they're it, it just, it's just too good. Yeah, they are slow to adopt any rule that somebody else came up with first. <laughs> so well, they'll, they'll claim they came up with it. But yeah, that's they'll, they'll morph it somehow. But like college football has a much better uh, tiebreaker Yes, and the NFL does, but the NFL will not do it because college football did it first. So, right, uh, Jeff, I know we that, do something very similar to the college. Okay, I know that um, it, it that you know that marketing your sport, marketing the attention, is all about eyeballs. And I, I saw on your website that you reached an agreement with one of the CBS networks to broadcast games. How how will that play out? Well, you know, we're kind of in a transitionary moment. Um, and you know, like I told you, we had 750,000 people watch the entire thing on YouTube of a, of a, of a taped game. Um, we had 1.7 million people watch on Facebook, uh, father's day two years ago. Um, so, so I think the future is, is digital, but in the present, uh, the players, the sponsors, there's still something about television and television does have the power to aggregate audience, but but our point of view is that ultimately we're a direct-to-consumer sport. Ultimately, we'll have a direct connection to our fans, and we'll do commerce with them during games. Um, you know, we will directly interact with them, and we will not need Facebook or a, a television network. I think I think that's the way we're going. Um, but you have to first get to sort of critical mass. You have to have enough people who care. Right. Right. And so you can't make that step right away. But I mean. I mean, the NFL, it's, I think it's kind of funny that the NFL gives out four winning bids with their content. Like they, they feel like somehow Fox or CBS are finding fans that NBC or ESPN doesn't. I mean, I think we pretty much identified who our fans are. And if they made it like winner take all or maybe two winners, the price would probably triple. Yeah. Um, because there'd be so much desperation to not get priced out. Um, I have no idea why they think they need to let them all win. Uh, as an old bond trader, I could tell you when you have an auction where everybody wins, it doesn't go very well. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's interesting. You've talked about how different your game is. Are you concerned that there's already so much football and I realize it's different. It's tackle football, but there's so much football out there that you guys might get lost in the shuffle. No, it's a different sport. Um, it, it has a lot of the qualities, the good qualities of football. But at the end of the day, it's entirely different. We're playing games that last an hour and a half. They're played at this break, breakneck pace. They're funny. You got all this personality. It's a different experience. Um, I'll tell you that it's, it, it, it's just a platform for th thrilling things to happen. Uh, this last weekend, we played a turkey bowl, and my son, managed to recruit all these guys from his, the tackle football team of his high school to play with us. And they were pretty unfamiliar. A lot of these kids hadn't played flag in a really long time. And, but these are athletes. And mm. I saw four things. I was like bemoaning the fact that I didn't have a film crew out there. I saw four plays that were just mind boggling from these high school foot, you know, tackle football players. It is just the game just provides 
whether you're eight years old or 18 or 28 or it doesn't matter. It just provides this platform for really, really fun, cool things to happen. So it's, it's not a replacement for tackle. I think tackle, um, you know, at the end of the day, there's never been a media property in any sport that was the second best version of it. There's only room for the best yeah. in the media. So, um, so we're not a, the second best version of football. We're the best version of flag football. And, and, and you're capitalizing or you're going to push the difference rather than the similarity. Yeah. Well, I think the similarity is sort of self-evident. Yeah. Right. We're playing on a hundred yard field and we're throwing touchdown passes and whatever. Right. Yeah. But, but the, the kind of vibe of it is really quite different. And the fact is we will end up having professional games played that are co-ed. I mean, we had, we played a, we played an exhibition game where a, a woman who was a boxer at Notre Dame in the last minute of this exhibition game, literally ripped the ball out of a guy's hands who was pretty ripped himself. Okay. It was, <laughs> it was shocking. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It just is a, it's a, it's a different, it's a different deal, but I think there's a, there's room for it. I think it's going to be the biggest sport in the world because it allows the rest of the world to take the love they have for American football and actually act upon it. Wow. And it's very accessible to people, regardless of their economic circumstance in a lot of ways, like soccer. Yeah. And again, I, you know, we have a theory, as you can tell, I have a lot of theories, David, but you know, we have a theory that, Sports tend to work in a, in, a, in a place when their champions are competitive internationally. Four years ago, the Winter Olympics are coming back. We were all curling fans for a week, right? Right. Because, because the U.S. was the best team in the world. We don't give a crap about curling. We like being the best. Yeah. And we like watching the best. It's not curling. It wasn't what did it. So otherwise, we would have all watched curling for the last four years, right? So the interesting thing about our game is it needs seven players on the field. And like my Chinese friend said, there's 300 million people in China who can run a 4-4. So we can probably come up with seven who can play flag football. So yeah. it probably won't be that long before the Nigerian team and the Indian team and the Chinese team and the Brazilian team and the Mexican team. You know, there's five million kids playing flag football in Mexico. It probably won't be very long before those teams are competitive with the U.S. Because at the end of the day, the fact that we have a thousand guys that are good enough to be on our national team doesn't matter because we can only put seven of them out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, Jeff. You, I was picturing in my mind that the an image from a, a few years ago. I've done a lot of missions work with my church and I went to a basketball camp in Poland and they know about the NBA. They don't really give a hoot about about college basketball, but they're big NBA fans. And the whole camp was using basketball as a platform to, to teach people about Christ. But um, that's all, that's the only sport they were playing. And I was digging through the equipment room because one of the basketballs went flat and I found a football. So I found a basketball that was, that was fully inflated. We went back and, and finished the, the game I was involved in. Um, but a little bit later on between the games, I started tossing a football around and I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid sixties now, but I still have a decent arm. And so I showed a couple of guys how to throw a spiral. I came out from dinner and there is, I don't know that they were playing by any rules They're basically playing keep away with a football, but some of those kids, 
they're athletes. You know, they knew how to figure out how they knew how to throw a spiral and a game broke out. Now we'd probably need to teach them some rules, but I think that is evidence of what you're saying. I have one more question before we wrap this up. Um, and that's one of the, one of the criticisms of the NFL and it's obviously in America, it's the biggest sport, but it's in a lot of circles, the NFL stands for no fun league. And there, I know this year they cracked down on the unsportsmanlike conduct been... penalties, the taunting. And I understand you can't stand over some guy and stuff, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. This is a sort of, um, this is an old establishment guy trying to graft some set of values from like the fifties or something onto the modern world that just don't apply. Okay. Now I'm all for the fact that we don't want it to get out of hand, but guys are supposed to have fun with each other. Okay. And this is our culture. And, you know, to, to pretend that trash talking isn't fun. It's fun. <laughs> Unless you're on the receiving end, but then do no, something. But it's fun. I mean, there was a really funny, there was a really funny moment. Um, this was awesome. There was a great moment where I was yelling and screaming at the ref and the kids from the other team, they started, they started yelling back at me. They were smiling and yeah. they were like, they were like, coach, it's a 17 U Turkey bowl, man. The, the refs don't care. It was like back off. And I started laughing. And that was the end of it. You know, I don't want them flagged for yelling at me. It was funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, how sensitive are we? I mean, come on, it's silly. So yeah, yeah we encourage, you know, you, you, you watch or come to an AFFL game. Uh, you're going to see the personalities in full, in full flight, you know, in full yeah. flight for sure. All right. I'm going to give you a chance to give um, a, a commercial, a couple of commercials here uh, before we wrap up. How can people, you, we mentioned early on that there's opportunities for people to invest in the league. What's the website where they can do that? So that's seedinvest.com slash AFFL. And Seedinvest is one of the uh, best of the uh, crowdfunding sites. Crowdfunding is essentially something that was created in the middle part of the last decade to unlock opportunities to do venture capital investing for people who are not rich, who are not accredited investors. Right. Um, our campaign has a $500 minimum investment. And what you see happening out there is really cool, is you see people making multiple investments, uh, basically creating their own venture capital portfolios. You know, there's actually been, I believe it was a couple of months ago, the first unicorn, the first billion dollar company that was crowdfunded, like happened. Wow. So it's a chance for the average person to get into a game that is a good game. You know, it's, it, but it has to be played in a, in a, in a particular way. I mean, the, the right way to do it, the way that all the professionals have always done it, is to build a portfolio, understanding that you'll lose a lot, but that the wins are generally going to be so big that yeah. a couple of wins in a portfolio can, can really do a lot for you. So I think it's a wonderful innovation in this sort of democratization of the markets, and, and uh, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting. So the campaign continues for another you know, three and a half weeks on Seed Invest. Where can what's the website where people can watch your games? So it's uh, AFFL.com. On Instagram, we are at uh, Flag Football. We obviously have a YouTube channel for the American Flag Football League. So we're, we're easy to find. Facebook, we're, we're, we're everywhere. Okay. Uh, I always like to wrap up my, uh, my podcast with two opportunities. What, one question, one opportunity. I ask my guests to talk about their family. Oh, okay. 
Uh, well, uh, you've heard me talk about our son, who's uh, the flag football player for the last 10 years. Um, and we also have a daughter who's uh, in high school and you know, we got our fingers crossed. We're applying to college now. It's a very fun process, but we're excited <laughs> about it. And, uh, you know, we got our little COVID dog, Winnie, little have a poop, cute as a button. So everything's good here. Okay. And then the last question, we always wrap up with this. What's your legacy? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of layers to this, um, David. It's a very interesting question. I think the first layer is, and we, I think, sort of alluded to this a little bit when we were talking about the shrinking of team sports. But I happen to believe very strongly that as we are coddling young people and sort of eliminating friction and adversity from their lives, we're uh, negatively affecting the way that they will be able to react to adversity when they get older. They don't have any tools to know how to do it. And team sports are a great safe space for learning those tools, learning how to get along with a teammate who's annoying, learning how to get a, figure out a way to get playing time when the coach doesn't see your value, learning how to deal with a bad call or, or a drop pass by yourself, you know, these are, these are, this is where we, we learn how to manage these kind of situations that will come to us later when we have a boss who doesn't appreciate us mm -hmm. or when the cop pulls us over, even though we weren't speeding. You know, these are the things that we have to learn how to deal with the, that kind of adversity somewhere. Um, and I think, I think that flag football's growth um, is a really powerful thing in a world where team sports, and I believe football, for whatever the criticisms are of it, is the best team sport in terms of the reliance of players on each other, right? And in the lessons that it gives in that sport. The, the second level of it is what I think is happening with the girls and the women. Um, I've been in our youth league. I, we, we had a tournament at Harvard stadium a couple of months ago and I was out there and there was a 10 U division. And this girl walked on the field, like she freaking owned the place, man. She had swagger, like I'm like you never seen. She was like Justin Herbert walking out on the field. And meanwhile, she backed it up. She was slinging it all over the place and she was great. And and I felt like watching these girls play in 10 years old, they were like let out of prison, let out of soccer prison. Like to let girls and women have access to an environment where aggressiveness is not viewed as somehow unladylike or inappropriate where aggressiveness is cool and where a whole generation of boys, if, if we can turn flag football, and I really believe this will happen once the college is adopted. I think flag football right now, we have about 15, 20% of the players are girls at the youth level. I think it will be 50, 50 in 10 years. So that means millions of girls are going to come into the game. And I think a, a, an America where millions of girls have been playing football their lives is a world where we stop hearing boys refer to them as bossy where we stop <laughs> no but i think you know that the reason yeah. that that people are kind of uh, you know trained to have that view like like i got that an aggressiveness in a woman is somehow kind of out of play is because we didn't encounter it you know they're playing volleyball right they're playing field hockey they're playing you know they're not playing football and so I think this can be a transformative game for the way that we think about, you know, what women's roles are in society. So, you know, I, I'm sorry, it's a big answer, but no, um, 
I think there's a lot of really, really positive stuff. And part of what drives us to continue doing what we're doing is, yeah, we think we can make some money and have some fun. But I think a lot of the uh, of the ancillary kind of outcomes that come out of pushing flag football are really, really, really good for the world. All right. Well, great answer. Great wrap up, Jeff. It's, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And, and maybe we'll have you back on again when you get the, the league formed and have teams planted. If you got one in Kansas City, I'll go out and watch them. Uh, but we'll have you back on and talk about progress. But thanks very much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Dave. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.